0: Thank you, Audrey, for your song. I also want to thank uh, a friend of ours, Carson Bruce, who's been leading us in worship this morning. Uh, Carson has led here before, actually served at our Chelsea campus for a while, now lives in Nashville, but uh, came to worship, uh, lead worship for us today. Thank you, Carson, for leading us in worship. I appreciate it. Thank you, William. Thank you, buddy. And hey, before we get jumping in uh, for today, I have some exciting things to share with you. Uh, Getting ready for 2024. Look, I know we got Christmas next week, but New Year's is right around the corner. and We've got a lot of new things that we're going to be unveiling for 2024. One of those things, though, uh, is a plan for all of us to read the entire New Testament over the course of the year. Uh, You might do a reading plan of your own, but we are going to be doing this as an entire church all across our age groups. Uh, We're going to challenge everybody to read the entire New Testament. Look, we've got some new tools uh, to make this easy. If you've got the app on your phone, uh, that reading plan is already there in the app on your phone. You've already got a Bible there in your phone. So you can track along every single day. It's only going to be one chapter a day, five days a week. It's easy for us to do. Uh, But here's the even better thing. Uh, You're going to be able to do this as a family. Uh, We always want you to do this as individuals, but we actually got some resources to help you do this, not just by yourself, but also to do this with all of your family. And Steve Layton has actually got some incredible resources for us to help us in that. And I want to make sure he had an opportunity to kind of share with us what we've got on offer this year. So, Steve, what do we got?
1: Hey, we're excited about the Bible reading plan. Did you know that the number one indicator of a growing Christ follower is do they read God's word on a regular basis? And so we want to encourage you to read with us. We're reading one chapter a day, five days a week. So here are the resources really quick. First, we've got the app. So just go to Bible reading plan. And you'll if you've got Double Oak downloaded, it will open every day, the reading plan. Secondly, a lot of you loved when we read through Proverbs together, you liked the card. So we have the card available to you with the aspects on the back. And uh, Whoever wants it. I got it. So it's going to be amazing. And uh, we encourage you to use your Bible to read there. We have three commentaries available, one for children, students, and adults. These are $10 apiece. What they are is a brief commentary on what you'll be reading for the day. For the children, people are asking, which one do I use to kids? Kids are basically kindergarten through fifth or sixth grade, and there's activities there. Adults and uh, students will be journaling. So this is your resource for adults. And then we have two additional resources this year. Uh, Some folks are... uh, journaling the Bible. This is a blank journal that we would encourage you to use. You can use it in worship, in your community group, or in your daily Bible reading. And finally, we have some ESV uh, value Uh, Bibles. Uh, This is a complete Bible available to you. The commentary in the Bible is $15. And one of the things that I always encourage families to do, Pastor, is, is that get you a new Bible and read through the New Testament this year. Put your notes in your Bible, and then next Christmas, give that Bible to a child or a grandchild so they have a memory of what you read and what you want them to hang on to. It's a practice of mine that I have for my children, and I would encourage you to think about as you read through, keep your journal and your Bible and give that away as a gift next year uh, to someone to share them what God's teaching you. We're excited. The Bible reading plan begins two weeks from tomorrow on January 1. So we're excited, Pastor. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, I
0: know you've got good news and bad news about the books, right? I
1: do have good news and bad news. The good news is is they're extremely uh, popular today, and the bad news is is we sold out because they were extremely popular um, uh, good today. So I will have more. We have more on the way. They've already been ordered, and they will be here next week. So we'll have them available next Sunday morning, and then we'll also have them on uh, the 31st available for everyone. So God bless you. Enjoy your Bible reading.
0: Listen, uh, you don't have to buy any of these, obviously. The app is free. You can follow along by yourself. But if any of these resources are going to help you and your family stay on track, if we can help you do this as a family together, we want to make those resources available to you. They will be right out here out front. So if those are helpful to you, man, grab those. Like I said, we will have more uh, next week. There might be a, a couple uh, left, but be ready for that. Uh, these will be great stocking stuffers or just like new gifts for a new year for your family. Uh, but I am really excited that we get to do this together. We've done this a couple times before with different parts of scripture. It's always been really well received. It's a lot of fun when we get to do something together. You can know where everybody is in their Bible reading because we're all on the same team doing it. So be planning for that in the beginning of 24. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but now grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 verse 26. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 as we're going to be this morning. As we continue our Advent series called A Weary World Rejoices. And look, I think all of us would agree we live in a weary world. There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of chaos going on. And we need to rejoice. And so instead of finding our joy in just kind of the temporary things of the Christmas season, we are looking to the coming of Jesus Christ to find out you can actually have joy in the coming of Christ this Christmas. And so we're finding a reason each week. We're going to do that right now in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 in just a moment. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in the supernatural? Just think about that for just a second. That may seem like a very easy question to answer, but do you believe in the supernatural? You might say, Adam, this is an easy question to answer. We all showed up to worship God this morning, right? I, I, it's dark outside, it was a little cold, but I came anyway, right? We came here. I, I would just assume that everybody in the room believes in the supernatural. And that may be true by and large for most of us, but let me, let me refine it a little bit. Uh, do you believe that you will actually experience the supernatural this Christmas? It's a little different, right? And this is where you might find that there's a little bit of a break in that earlier number because a lot of people say they believe in the supernatural, but they don't actually believe that they're going to experience anything. There's a philosophy called deism, Uh, Which basically says that folks, folks who are deists would say, I believe in a God. I believe that God created everything. But that once God created everything, he exited the scene. He created the machine. He lets it run. But he does not get involved. He does not insert himself into that machine or into the workings of creation. He just stands back. And so deists would absolutely say, I believe in the supernatural. I believe in God. But they do not believe that they would have any encounter with that God. You couldn't have a personal relationship with that God. And so the question is, which one are we? Do we truly believe in the supernatural? And also, do we believe that we are going to encounter the supernatural? Especially at Christmas. Now, this is important because when you and I read the Christmas uh, narratives, they are chock full of the supernatural. Think about it you got angels everywhere, lots of angels. Man, angels singing, you got angels giving visitation, you got uh, angels in visions and dreams. There are just a ton of angels in all the narratives. You got stars that move, you got miraculous births, you got a virgin birth, and you got God becoming man. There is a ton of supernatural stuff happening in the midst of the Christmas narratives. And the question is do you truly believe that these things occurred? These are not simply stories, but these are actual miracles, God breaking into this reality. Because if we don't, what happens is we we might say, yes, I believe in Christmas, but instead of believing that these are supernatural acts, they just become a useful prop upon which we hang all the things that we do enjoy and that we're sure will experience. You might say, Adam, I don't know if I'm going to have a supernatural experience this Christmas, but I do know I'm going to get a couple days off. And I'm going to eat some good food and I'm going to watch some cool movies and I'm going to have time with my family and I'm going to get some presents. And Adam, I know I'm going to experience those. And so I don't know about all this supernatural stuff, but I do know about this. And so why don't I just focus here? Because let's be honest, it's hard to believe in the supernatural. You might say, Adam, I'm a 21st century Westerner. We have science and technology and Adam, I haven't seen an angel before in my life. and so I don't know, it's just a little bit hard to, to really buy into some of these things, but I do believe in what I can see. I do believe in what I can experience and isn't that enough? And I think if you really looked at it, you would find that the answer to that question is no. All of the trappings of Christmas can give you some momentary pleasure, they can give you a momentary rest, they can give you some momentary happiness, but Guys, Christmas is almost here. We're like eight eight days away. Like it's here, it's next weekend. And after that, it all goes back in the box. It all goes back up in the attic. And then we're stuck. No no more lights and stories and movies and, and all the food. It all goes away. And most of the joy goes with it. But what if you could actually find joy that is lasting? You see, that's what the supernatural brings us at Christmas. And that's what we need to wrestle with this morning. But how do we get there? How do we actually become people who truly put our faith and trust in the supernatural things that are happening here at Christmas? So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we'll see someone in our very specific shoes. Uh, We're looking uh, at the narrative when Mary finds out that she is going to bear the very Son of God. She is engaged. She is not expecting this, obviously. Look what happens in Luke 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. In this passage, you see Mary really grappling with what is being asked of her. She is ultimately obedient, but there is a process that she actually goes through, and it's a process we need to go through as well. Let's look at a few things that we can notice from the passage. The first one is this, is that Mary is not credulous. Mary is not credulous. She's not gullible. She's not someone who just believes whatever is given to her. You can see that in verse 34. The angel tells her this and Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is not a question of doubt. This is a question of how. It's a question of process. She is confused. She may be a teenager, but she knows how things work. And she says, listen, I've been, I'm betrothed to my soon to be husband, but we haven't been together yet. So how there's going to be a baby, I am confused as to what exactly is about to happen here. She's asking a question, but notice what she doesn't say. What she doesn't say is, okay, cool. That's not what she says. When an angel shows up to her and tells her this incredible news, she doesn't just go right along with it. She doesn't say, sure, that sounds fine. Whatever you say, you're an angel, I'm not. Might as well, whatever you say, we'll just go along with it. She wrestles with it. She is concerned. She is trying to discern, to understand what is actually going on here. And I think that's very important for us to remember. There is a bias that we all bring to the table sometimes. It's usually unconscious But I wonder if you suffer from this. I think I have, and many of us do. I think we subtly believe that all of us who live today are just smarter than people who lived hundreds of years ago. That because they didn't have iPhones or electricity or Google, that we are just smarter, right? We're just better. And people back then, of course they believed in angels. And of course they believed in the supernatural. What else are you going to do? But we're enlightened, right? We're, we've got more stuff. We've got more technology. And we just don't need to do that. But I'm sure that was just easy for them. I don't actually think that's true. I actually think ancient people were way smarter than all of us today. I can defend that, seriously. Seriously. I think those folks were incredibly smart. Think of all they accomplished without all the things that we have. And think about how much you and I could accomplish if you took all that stuff away. Seriously, if I took your phone away and you could never have it back again, how much would you freak out? You would freak out. How many phone numbers would you actually remember if I took your phone away? If I stranded you on the side of the road, you got one phone call. You wouldn't even remember a number. Could you do one, maybe two? How would you get anywhere without Google Maps? How are you going to get anywhere? How are you going to get to the summit? How are you going to get anywhere? How are you going to do a detour? You have no idea. How are you going to fix anything without YouTube? How are you going to do that? (laughs) Stuff breaks you. Look up YouTube. What am I supposed to do? You take all that stuff away. We are toast. We're done. We we don't even know what to do. If I took electricity away, that's it. I'm out. I'm out. If you just took electricity away, we had snowmageddon for a day and a half and thought it was the apocalypse. It was a day and a half, people. Look, these people had nothing. The Roman Empire conquered the known world without electricity. Do you know that? They did amazing things. They got by. They they took care of themselves. They were incredibly smart. Let's not assume that faith is just easier for people in the Bible. It wasn't. When Mary hears this, she instantly challenges and says, I don't understand. She's not credulous. And look, this is why I love scripture because scripture doesn't just tell us these these pie-in-the-sky stories. These are real people, and so they truly wrestle. And look, Mary's not the only one. You actually see this all throughout the scriptures. Look at this one. This one's in Mark. Uh, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. He has just told the sea to calm down, and it did. And look what they, how they react in Mark four forty one And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They freaked out. They had no idea what to do with Jesus. They didn't have a category to put him in. They did not understand. Look at this one in John. Uh, this is John chapter six, verses 28 through 30. The people say to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Jesus says, believe in me. They reply, prove it. We're not just going to believe anybody. You say you're the son of God, then do something. Tell us, show us something that lets us know we ought to put our faith in you. They're not credulous. They don't just instantly believe whatever is put in front of them. And of course we've got Thomas who misses the first resurre- the appearance of Jesus after his resurrection and look how he responds this is John chapter 20 uh, verse 25 it says so the other disciples told him we've seen the Lord but Thomas says to them unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side I will never believe to which Jesus a week later calls his bluff says you need to man come on man come on let's go let's go there you go. Touch me and see if that's what you need, man. He proves it. These people don't just instantly believe whatever is told to them. They have to wrestle with this. And that's important for us. Because if you walk with Jesus Christ, usually before you walk with him, and certainly as you walk with him, you are going to have questions. Questions aren't bad. It's not wrong to have questions. It is hard to believe in the supernatural. It's supernatural. It's not gonna get fully explained to us. And so we wrestle with that. That is okay. But here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Man, what is really keeping you from putting your full faith in Jesus Christ this season? Like, what is it? Because some of us, we came in loaded for bear. We, We came in loaded with questions, but do we actually even know what they are? Is that? I just can't believe that. Why? Why? Why can't you believe it? I just can't. No, no, there's a reason. What's the reason? Like, can you articulate it? What's the sticking point? What's the thing that holds you back from putting your faith in Jesus Christ? It's okay to have questions, but when you have them, let's give them an honest hearing. Honest, which means we don't stack the deck one way or the other. What we do is, is we actually bring our questions to the Lord and say, okay, I got legitimate concerns. How? How does this work? What am I supposed to do? What's going on? Bring them to the Lord. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. The Lord does offer proof. Look at verse 36. It says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. All right, Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah are relatives of Mary. Now, they are much older than Mary. And although they wanted kids in their life, Elizabeth is barren, and so that never happened for them. And they went through all of that pain and finally have come to a place in life where they just thought, this blessing's never going to happen for us. That, that whole season has just passed us by, but we are not going to experience that blessing. But Zechariah, who's a priest, he also gets an angel to visit him when he's in the temple. And says, Zechariah. Your wife's going to have a son, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Zechariah, however, does not ask a question of how. He has full-on doubts. When the angel tells him that, he says, "Uh, I don't know about that. Have you seen my wife lately? I don't know about that. He has full on doubts. The angel says, well, look, how about this? I'll give you nine months to think about it. You don't have any talking for nine months. You're going to be mute for nine months while the baby's growing. Got it? See ya. And then leaves. Zechariah, silent for nine months. But sure enough, Elizabeth gets pregnant and Mary knows this. And here's this older woman having a very healthy pregnancy. The angel points this out and says, you see, there's a miracle happening right over here. If God can do that, God absolutely can do this as well. He offers proof. Now for, for many of us, we go, well, that's great for Mary, but what about me? Adam, that's awesome for Mary that she gets the proof. How come I can't get proof? Adam, I haven't been visited by an angel. Neither have I. Angelic visitations are very rare, by the way. Like even for people in scripture, please don't assume that everybody is gets an angel. They show up, hey man. You know, they just, they just know what it's like for an angel to show up. I don't think Paul ever gets an angel to fully show up for him. Peter gets this a little bit, but they live the majority of their lives with this not happening. It's incredibly rare in Scripture to actually have this kind of proof. But it's not true that you you and I don't have proof. We do have proof. The first proof ought to be just look at the impact of what has happened. Jesus Christ enters into our reality. He splits history in two. And now billions of people have experienced salvation through him. It's affected every corner of the world. We continue to see thousands of years after his appearance, the impact of what he's done. But here's the greater proof. He tells us in his word. He tells us in his word, this is God speaking to us. Okay, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And we say, well, Adam, that's not, that's not good enough. I need like a miracle. I need the, I need the angel, right? I need a, a supernatural something. But this is assuming that if you and I saw a miracle, we'd actually believe it. I don't know if we would. Look, if you don't want to believe, I don't know what miracle I could put in front of you. We go, ah, that's CGI. Ah, man, I don't know. I was just this. I don't know. I was tired. I don't know. You, you and I would find some reason. To disbelieve it. He said, no, if I saw a full-on miracle, I would absolutely believe. I, I don't actually believe that's true. Do you remember the Israelites in the desert? The Israelites spent 40 years in the desert. Every day, there was a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire to lead them day and night. Every morning, they ate a miracle called manna in the desert and still found a way to grumble against the Lord. Every day, found a way To ignore the Lord. You can see a miracle right there. Jesus talks about this in a parable. He tells uh, tells a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Not the one he raises from the dead. A different Lazarus. Uh, But there's a rich man. Lazarus is a poor man begging at his gates. They both die. Rich man goes to hell. Lazarus goes to heaven. uh, And the, the rich man in hell says, Hey, send Lazarus to my family and tell them don't come down here. And look how the parable ends. This is in Luke 16, verse 30 and 31. And he says, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham says to him, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Which is a little ironic because the guy telling the parable will rise from the dead, right? But listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, just if I send a ghost, if I send a supernatural thing... That by itself is not going to convince everybody. Sooner or later, this requires faith. The Lord has given you proof, He's told you in His, His Word. The question is will we actually believe? Will we actually put our faith in the Lord? Here's the third thing, though, that He tells us He says that nothing is impossible with God. Look at verse 37. The angel understands that this is hard to understand, but he simply tells Mary, verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. I hope that's underlined in your scriptures. And let me just ask you again, do you you believe that? Do you believe that there's literally nothing that is impossible for the God of the universe? That he actually can change anything That everything is changeable because nothing is impossible with the Lord. Because look, if you don't believe that, good luck. That means everything's on you. You got to figure it out. You're the only one you can count on. You got to deal with it. It's all on you. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a hellscape to me. But what happens if this is actually true? That nothing is impossible with God. If nothing is impossible for the Lord, here's what that means. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for all of us. It means that there's hope for your marriage. It means there's hope for you as a person. There's hope for your kids. There's hope for your situation. There's hope for your diagnosis. There's hope for the world that you and I live in. There is hope for our future. If nothing is impossible with God, then there actually can be hope for you and I in this world, which is unbelievable. Now, look, this is the crux of everything. If if this is truly true, then everything is now on the table. So let's look at the grand miracle for a moment. Let's look at what he's actually doing to see how that actually brings us joy in this world. You might assume that the grand miracle, the greatest miracle in this passage will be a virgin who's going to have a child. But that's not the greatest miracle in the passage. It's actually a distant second to a greater miracle. And it's this, that God is going to come in human form. That's what the angel just said. That God himself is breaking into our reality in a brand new way. He's going to take on flesh. That's what the word incarnation means. He is going to be incarnate. He is going to come in the flesh. That is a miracle of all miracles. It it breaks all the bounds. How in the world is that possible? Look, Look what he tells us in verse 31. You can read exactly what's going to happen. Verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. That name means the Lord saves, by the way. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will ha- of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Now, how does that work? I don't know. It's a a mystery as well as a miracle, Note here that you do see the Trinity at play. You see the Trinity fully present. Did you catch this? Twice in that passage, the Most High is referenced. All right, that's the Father. This is God Most High. God Himself, this is the Most High. But who actually comes upon Mary? That's the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary. And then the child to be born is gonna be called the Son of God. You see that? Father, Son, Spirit. The entire Trinity is in play. And so now the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is now going to be revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But how does that work? How how can it even possibly be that an infinite God can somehow be contained in a finite vessel? How does that even work? And while I can't explain that to you fully. I don't think anybody ever fully understands the mystery of this miracle. This is something you can get your hands around. It's possible to believe this because you and I experience something like this every single day. You're experiencing it right now. Do you know why? Because we're actually talking about this. You see, we're not just animals. You and I have this understanding of ourselves that we are not simply atoms that have formed together into an organism. No, we are more than that. We experience ourselves. We know ourselves to be both physical and spiritual. While we are absolutely physical beings, there's more to me than just what is physical, We all know ourselves to be something more than that. We think that about ourselves. We think that about our loved ones. Now look, there's a bunch of people in our culture who would deny that. Who would say, Adam, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in anything I can't prove. I don't believe in anything I can't see. I don't actually believe that there's any supernatural. This is all there is. It's called naturalism or materialism. This is it. This is all that there is. But I'll tell you this. I don't think I've ever met anybody, even people who say they believe that, who actually live that way. Not once. I have never seen anybody who believes that ideology and actually lives that out. Because if that's true, that this is all there is, then here's what you and I must believe about ourselves. There is actually nothing to us except some electrical impulses in our brains. That's it, that's all you are. All we are are electrical impulses going off in our brain. That's it, we're just physical creatures. Here's what else it means. You and I have no such thing as free will. This idea that you and I are making choices, it's a farce. We're fooling ourselves because all we are are organisms and you put any organism in our situation with our physiology and they do the exact same thing because there's nothing more to us than just what physically makes us up. Here's the other thing we would have to agree on. Our lives have zero meaning at all. You can invent one. We can pretend to have one, but that's not an actual meaning like we would normally assume. There's no purpose in our life. We were atoms that were somewhere else, and now they're here, and then later on they're going to be somewhere else. That's it. And you know what it means? Nothing. But no one actually lives that way. Seriously, if, if you know friends, and that might be you, and you say, actually, I actually kind of lean towards that philosophy, here's the deal. You can always smoke out what you really believe by what we really say. Because these very same people who say that start saying things that contradict what they say. They'll say things like this. Well, the universe wanted us to be together. Really? I got news for you. The universe does not care at all. The universe doesn't care about anything. It doesn't care, period. The universe isn't doing anything. You're just making that up. Or they would say things like this. Well, this is my calling in life. Really? Called by who? Who's calling you? You don't have a calling. You just got stuff you like. That's it. There's no calling. Don't pretend it means anything. Or people say, we were made for one another. Really? Made by who? Who made you all to be together? Who made you, period? There's a maker? Wait a minute. I thought you didn't believe in that. But all of a sudden, hey, this is right, and we must do it. Well, that's a really interesting one. How in the world can there be right and wrong? And how would there be a right that's true for all people in all places in all times if there's not a God above us? Who would have the right to say what is right and wrong? Who could actually say what we should and should not do? You keep saying things that kind of sound like you believe in the supernatural. That there is actually more than just our physical makeup, that we aren't just physical, we are spiritual as well. I defy any one of us in this room to look at your spouse, your children, and the people you love the most and try to convince yourself these people are nothing more than atoms in a certain configuration who do not matter and never will. None of us believes that, especially at Christmas. We don't. And so you know what's happening? Every day you and I are experiencing a miracle. We don't understand it, But you and I live physically, but we're also spiritual. We are more than just the sum of our parts. We are this weird combination of spiritual and physical. Now, if you take that and multiply it by a billion, you get the incarnation. That's what God is doing in the person of Jesus Christ. He is breaking into our reality in real time. It is a miracle that changes everything. You say, Adam, this is awesome. I clearly see that you enjoy philosophy, but how in the world does this actually help me at Christmas time? And look, here's where this actually brings you joy. This is why this is so important for you and I to believe that in the supernatural miracle that God became man at Christmas in the person of Jesus Christ, because if that is true, certain things follow. The first is this you can be forgiven, you can actually be forgiven. This is the question all of us want to be answered. Can I actually be forgiven for what I have done? Can I actually be forgiven for all the things that I have done in my life? And in the incarnation, that answer is yes. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Notice what he says here. This is in the NIV. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Look, I know that's a lot, but here's basically what he's saying. He said, "When Jesus comes in the flesh, it finally opens the door for us to truly be forgiven. If Jesus is only God, that's great for Him. He comes in, He dazzles us, He's amazing, He's not like us, but He comes and He leaves, but that leaves us in our sin. If he's just a man, he might have been a great man, an incredible man, but ultimately he would be flawed because we all were. He couldn't live a a perfect life. And while that's a great life to emulate, it still leaves us in our sin. But if Jesus is fully God and fully man, not only can he live a perfect life, he actually can forgive us by making atonement for our sins. In the coming of Jesus Christ, he is saying to you, you can be forgiven. Given, And that is a fundamental question of reality. If you have never asked that of yourself, just wait. The longer we live, the more we have to come to grips with our own actions and our own sins, and we realize we need to be forgiven. But we can't fix it. I watched a new Christmas movie uh, this past week. Uh, It was called Spirited. Uh, I think it came out last year. Uh, It's got Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. It was a lot of fun. PG-13, but there's some language in there. Just a warning if you decide to go check it out. Um, But it was a lot of fun. You can imagine with those two guys, there's a lot of hijinks that ensue. Uh, It's a musical, uh, but we're watching it, and I was shocked towards the end of this movie because right as they're getting towards the end, they sing a song, and one of the main characters... Begins to ask this question Am I unredeemable? That's the name of the song. Am I unredeemable? Look at some of these lyrics. Am I forever unredeemable? Can I ever overcome all the wrongs I'm running from? Can my worst be left behind? And do I deserve to find there's a soul who could see any good in me? Or will I only ever be unredeemable? You ever felt that way before? Because almost all of us have. We look at our lives and we say, wait a minute, I I begin to see who I really am. I begin to see my own sin. I begin to see my flaws. I see my brokenness. You see these things about yourself and it simply begs the question, am I unredeemable? Can I actually be forgiven? Now look, this is a completely non-Christian film. They're not thinking about the Lord at all. But what do you do when you ask the question? Because if you don't have Jesus, you only have a few options. Number one, you can try to work off your sins. That's kind of where he's going to get to in this movie. Just try to be better. Try to work it off. That doesn't actually work, hence the song. Secondly, you can give in to despair. Can't fix it. I'm terrible. Life's awful. That doesn't sound fun. Thirdly, you can stop caring and just get worse. Pretend it doesn't matter and just do whatever you want. After that, actually, that's it. Those are your only options. That's it. That's it. That's all you got. If it's all on you, that's all you can do with this question. But when Jesus Christ comes at Christmas, he gives you a new answer to the question, can you be redeemed? Absolutely, through the atonement of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ enters into our reality, it's his message to you saying this, I can forgive you. I will forgive you. And look, he doesn't even paper over our sins. He doesn't pretend and say, well, you know, what? not all that bad and other people have done worse and you're, you're pretty good compared to other people. He says, no, actually, we are, we're all sinners. We deserve judgment. And guess how I feel about you? I'm gonna take all of your sin and all of your punishment because I love you more than you can possibly imagine. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is sign to you that yes, you can be redeemed. No matter who you are or what you've done or how long you've been away, Jesus says, I have come here to redeem you. What joy comes from the fact that you and I can be redeemed. And it's true for every single one of us. If you can simply believe that God can do the impossible. He does at Christmas. Here's the second thing. It means you can be accepted. It means you can be accepted. When the Lord forgives us, he doesn't simply forgive us and say, you know what? I forgave you, but I just don't like you very much. So just be better, but... Bye. And then leave and do something else. He says, no, no, no. When I save you, I save you for a reason. Look at this in Galatians chapter four, verses four and five. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you know what God wants to do? He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to make you a part of his family. Now, look, I don't know what that word family does for you. Some of us have amazing families. Some of us don't. Some of us have an incredibly loving family, and that's a great metaphor. For some of you, you hear that and go, I don't, I, I, I don't know about that. Maybe you've never felt accepted by your family. Listen to what Christmas tells you. When Jesus Christ comes into this world, he says, I've come to redeem you, but also I've come to accept you into my family. You're my son You're my daughter, and I want you to take my name and share everything I have and be with me forevermore. This is what God offers to you. Not a couple beliefs, not trying to be good. He offers us acceptance. Some of us can't even accept ourselves, and the Lord accepts you when he comes at Christmas. He is telling you, you can be accepted. But here's the third and final thing. It means you can be changed. You can be changed. Because when Jesus Christ comes at Christmas, he comes into the real world. The fact that he is incarnate is important. He's coming in the flesh into our actual lived reality. This is not mindfulness, this is not some vaguely spiritual thing. This is real life. He comes with real flesh and blood to take care of our real sins. He'll die on a real cross, which means he can bring real change into your life right now. This is probably the most important thing, for, especially for those who are believers. You believe that Jesus Christ came and forgave you of your sins, but do you know what else it means? Christmas tells us, no, I come in the flesh. I come in the real world to change you. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I don't know how many of you feel about change. Some of you might just assume change is impossible. Adam, I tried to change, it doesn't work. I don't know if I can change. I don't know if anybody can change. It's too much work. It takes too much time. I don't even know if it's possible. Didn't you hear? Nothing is impossible with God. And if he can change you, do you know what that means? Your attitude can change. Man, though, your reactions can change. There's hope for you in the midst of your addiction. There's hope for us in the midst of our situations. There's hope for everything, for your diagnosis, wherever it might be. Things can change. We can change because it's not all on me. The Lord's gonna send his spirit to live inside of each of us to help us that we might be changed. When Jesus comes in the flesh, we can no longer put him over in the corner or just put him off into a vaguely spiritual category. He says, no, I come into the real world to deal with real problems, which means you can really change. What if you and I believed in the supernatural? What if we truly put our faith in what Jesus is telling us that nothing is impossible with God? That can bring you lasting joy at Christmas. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Just a moment, we're gonna close in a song. But with your head bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if you can just ask yourself that question do you really believe that you're going to experience the supernatural? That what Jesus did was not simply 2,000 years ago, but it's, he's here now. He's still here, still moving. And there can be change for you. You can be redeemed. You can be forgiven. You can be accepted. And yes, you can change. Not by your power, but by his What if this Christmas we turn to him and say, Jesus, I'm gonna stop trying to just string together enough small pleasures to make it somehow seem that I'm okay. What if we, we actually found joy in the coming of Jesus Christ? That's not for somebody else, it's for you. What if we believed in the coming of Jesus at Christmas? So Heavenly Father, help us, speak to us. Open our eyes to see that you're here. Father, as these questions kind of roll around in the background of our uh, our soul, could you bring them to the the fore to help us to say them out loud and to hear that you have answers and that if we'll just have the faith, we can have the joy that you made us for. Lord, we don't deserve this. We can't do anything to add to it. But we can believe in you, trust you, Turn our lives over to you. Lord, that's what we want to do today. So for all of our different places, Lord, could you hear us? Help us. We choose to put our trust into you. In your name we pray.